how did you want to do this? And last time we just kind of went back and forth. Do you want to keep doing that? We, we or... could do that, or one of us could do all of them, and the other person could do all of them. Or um, I think we should do back and forth. Okay. I don't know how balanced that's going to be because I have not looked at what you have at all. Okay. Um, and I want to save my best for last. I'll also be saving my best for last. You should probably go first because I think you have more than I do. Okay. Hey, welcome to Critter Kibbles on the main feed. Um, this is our anniversary, you know, season three launching episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, two years in the bag now. Jesus Christ. We've got a lot of stuff and more coming. Yep, yep, so, yep. yep. Um, we have quite a, uh, like, unique backlog now. Like. We have a huge backlog. I've I've been, I haven't put a lot of effort into it, but I have been starting to, like, write out uh details and things about some oh, of the monsters cool. so that maybe I can get them into like a source book type collection. That'd be neat. Um so working on that, it's it's slow going. I've only got like two things done, but right. <laughs> it's something I'm working on. But uh this year I did want to focus more on player options that mm-hmm. I wanted creatures because to me, um like the creatures are cool and all and they're fun. But the player options are way more entertaining yeah, yeah. and reach a better, a broader audience. So uh, that's kind of what I focused on. Um, and I guess I'll go ahead and get it started. Yeah. You did more than I did because, for one thing, I had to do the main episode. Yeah. And also, I just did a million lizards. <laughs> You're done. You're t- you you hit your quota for the year, <laughs> basically. <laughs> that's fair. I did about as much for that one episode as I did for the other episodes this year combined. Yeah. So. <laughs> no. I and I'm not gonna lie. When I was putting them up, like. <laughs> When I was actually making uh-huh. the stat blocks, I did kind of lament you a little bit for it. Yeah. <laughs> like, this sucks. <laughs> and I probably made a few mistakes because yeah. there's so many small changes between uh-huh. some of them. But That's fine. Whatever. Um, but we'll just jump in here. Uh, so I expanded on, as for my first thing, I expanded on one of my favorite magic items that I've created in the past two years. The monster backpacks. Yay, I love so. those so much. Those are my, like my favorite things you've ever made. <laughs> I love them too. Uh, as a refresh, or if you're unfamiliar, uh, the monster backpack was inspired by the final scene of Attack the Block, mm-hmm. where uh, Moses is carrying the little dead alien on his back. <laughs> That's literally the source from this. But um, these backpacks are cute, stylized packs made to resemble the various monsters of the multiverse. Not only do they function as an ordinary adventuring pack, but they also have magical properties that grant additional effects based on their design. Uh, so they do require attunement, but their rarity varies. Um, and that's that's it. That, it's pretty simple, but versatile. Mm-hmm. So first off, we've got the Fierce Kappa. <laughs> it's an uncommon backpack. So a little, little like... A backpack that looks like a fucked up Kappa. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, while wearing it and tuned, you get advantage on attack rolls against any creature you are grappling. And in addition, all attempts to break your grapple are made at disadvantage. Nice. Pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. Just let you wrestle. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I made... The second one I have is the dickhead. <laughs> uh, a creature that... This is an uncommon backpack. Uh, a creature that is not a monstrosity that starts its turn within five feet of you must make a DC 12 constitution saving throw, taking 1d4 radiant damage on a failure. <laughs> so you just melt your companions. Yep. <laughs> Uh, next we have the Were Ghost, which is actually from my uh, from last year's Critter Kibble episode or um, um, last year's Critter Kibble's anniversary episode. No, 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 no. This is from a Kibbles from this is from Kibbles of uh, 
Prey? Prey. Okay. The first episode we did of season yeah, yeah. two after Alien, Aliens. <clears throat> I almost forgot we did that episode because it, that it's, movie was bad. <laughs> so forgettable. That may have been the worst movie we watched this year. Uh, it's definitely up there. Yeah. Um, season, season one. Lake I, was pretty bad too, though. Lake was bad, but at least it, I don't know, things happened in nah, that movie. And the monster was cool. Yeah. Like, season one, it was definitely Big Legend. Like, that was... <laughs> Far and away the worst movie we watched that year. And I still think, like, the more that I've thought about it, the more, like, as I went on a horror movie kick right. recently, the more I've seen, Big Legend is honestly not that bad Got it. in the grand scheme I am of so afraid of... I will retaliate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, Prey no, was... Pre- I think Prey Prey is, was the worst we watched this It was year. definitely like, up was there. Miserable. It was really bad. But anyway, um, I made the Wear Ghost. It is a rare backpack. So as an action, you can make yourself incorporeal for up to one minute or until you end this effect as a bonus action. Only tight-fitting clothing transforms with you, but not armor, weapons, or items, which are left in the space you occupied when you transform. Oh, that sucks. This way, you like, otherwise it would be really, really easy to like yeah. cheese a bunch of puzzles. And I'm like, yeah. you know what? No, if you're going to go through the freaking vault wall, you're not going to be able to and meet something over there, then you're going to be in trouble. Um but anyway, uh, during this time, you cannot interact with physical objects, and you can move through other creatures and objects as if they were difficult terrain. If you are inside of a physical object when the effect ends, you take 3d10 damage and are immediately expelled to the nearest unoccupied space adjacent to it. Mm-hmm. And once used, the backpack cannot be used again until you finish a long rest. Okay. So again, you can't like pop into the vault door, scoop up everything in there, transfer right. it out somehow, and then get out. No, you're going to be stuck in there until you sleep for a while. <laughs> Uh, next, we've got the Hypochondricarp, <laughs> based off of uh, our marquee monster from the the host, which is like the lake, only way better. <laughs> yeah, that the two movies I find very similar. I no. can't separate them in yeah. my, my my brain yeah. very well. <laughs> but um, they're similar, but not at the same time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, any creature with an intelligence score of eight or higher must succeed on a DC 15 wisdom saving throw in order to move within five feet of you. And once a creature succeeds on this save, they are immune to the effects of the backpack for 24 hours because they perceive you as a big gross mess. Mm-hmm. Diseased. Uh, then we have a uh, Luthu, the elder hunter based off of Cthulhu himself. Yeah. Um, very rare backpack. From a couple movies this year. <laughs> yep. This one's specifically based off of uh, from Underwater. Right. Because that's actually Luthu, not Cthulhu. Right, right. Uh, the backpack has 10 charges. As an action, you can spend a charge and force a creature you can see within 30 feet of you to make a DC 18 charisma saving throw. On a failure, that creature's charisma score is reduced by one point to a minimum of one until it finishes a long rest. A creature that has its charisma reduced in this way is stunned until the end of its next turn. The backpack gains um, regains 2d10 charges daily at dawn. You can also attempt to force the backpack to regain a charge at any time by spending an action to make a DC 20 charisma saving throw. So you can kind of try to supercharge it yourself at a risk. On a success, the backpack regains one charge. On a failure, your charisma score decreases by one. You regain one charisma. Um, you get, you regain your charisma at a rate of one per long rest until you are back to your normal maximum. If this would decrease your max, uh, your charisma score to zero, you become devout to Luthu, the Elder <laughs> Hunter, and consider Luthu your trusted god and leader, forsaking any and all conflicting allegiances. Once this has happened, nothing short of divine intervention or a wish spell can reverse it. <laughs> so, you become a slave to your backpack. Huh. <laughs> That's a bummer. Yep. And then finally, 
legendary backpack, the Rocket Cougar. Yay! <laughs> Face off a Jet Jaguar from Godzilla vs. Megalon. As an action, you choose one of the following adaptations and gain the traits associated with it. You can only have one adaptation active at a time. Adaptations remain in effect until you either dismiss them as a bonus action or become unconscious or incapacitated. The size increase protocol. You grow in size by one stage. While your size is increased, you gain advantage on all strength checks and saving throws, and your melee weapon attacks deal an additional 1d4 of damage, mm -hmm. just like the enlarge spell. Uh, size decrease protocol. You decrease in size by one stage. While your size is decreased, you have advantage. Uh, you have disadvantage on strength checks and saving throws, and your melee weapon attacks deal 1d4 less damage. Uh, but while small, you can occupy the same space as a creature... Um, that is uh, larger than you without penalty, and you gain advantage on dexterity checks and saving throws. Okay. So it's like reduce, but a little bit better. The defense protocol. You cover yourself in armor to better defend against attacks. You gain a plus four bonus to AC, but your speed is reduced by 20 feet. The attack protocol. You sacrifice defense in favor of landing more hits. Your AC is reduced by four, but you gain advantage on all attacks, and you score a critical hit on 19 and 20. <laughs> And finally, the speed protocol. Your speed increases by 10 feet, and you can make an additional attack. And that's it. That's pretty rad. So, I like that a lot. Yep. So uh, some of these are based off of uh, creatures that we did mm -hmm. in Kibbles previously. Although, um, as the year goes on, a lot of these are going to be released to the main, right. to the, uh, in the main folder. So check them out if you'd like. But uh, basically, backpacks just give you the, imbue yep, the yep. you with I the abilities those of so those much. creatures. It's so. such a cool idea. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. Uh, so, Chris, let's All pass right. it over to you. So, for my first thing is um, several times uh, throughout this season, I've made reference to the fact that I was cursed by a witch to do this podcast forever. <laughs> so, I decided <laughs> okay. to do the stab block for the podcast witch. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, the podcast witch is a medium fey of any alignment. Armor class of 15, natural armor. Uh, 54 on average hit points, which is 12 d8s. And speed of 30 feet. Uh, she has a strength at a minus 2, a dex at a minus 1, constitution at a plus 0, intelligence at a plus 2, wisdom at a plus 4, and charisma at a plus 1. <laughs> okay. Uh, saving throws is a wisdom plus 6. For skills, she has arcana at a plus 4, history at a plus 4, and persuasion at a plus 3, because she has to convince <laughs> you to do a podcast forever. <laughs> Uh, damage resistances, psychic, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks. And damage immunities to fire and thunder. Okay. <laughs> can you explain those? Yes, I can, actually. You'll have to wait and see. Oh, okay. Uh, senses, she has a passive perception of 14 languages. Uh, she probably speaks common, but I forgot to put that in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do that right now so I don't forget when I'm actually putting good, these on a stat good block. Good plan, good plan. <laughs> uh, she has a challenge rating of 4. Alrighty. Uh, she has innate spellcasting. Okay. Uh, her spellcasting ability is Wisdom, which gives her spell D save DC of 14 and a plus 6 to hit with spell attacks. And she, she can innately cast the following spells requiring no material components. At will, control Flame, Firebolt, and Thunderclap. Okay. Three times a day, cause Fear, Fairy Fire, and Hex. <laughs> okay. And then once a day, hold Person. Because <laughs> she keeps you there forever. <laughs> <laughs> she makes you sit here and record with me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, as actions, it's on fire now. Recharge at a six. Okay. The witch ignites a creature with magical flames. 
the flames do not harm the creature, but do burn those around. <laughs> Any creature that starts its turn or moves within five feet of the flaming creature must make a DC 16 deck saving throw, taking 2d6 fire damage on a failure or half as much on a success. In addition, the flaming creature's melee attacks do an additional 1d6 of fire damage. The magical flames last one minute before being doused. Okay, so so last year you just took a bunch of our creatures and lit them on fire. This year you decided to make a witch do it for you. No, last year I took a bunch of our creatures and gave them guns. That's right, that's right. <laughs> oh my god, but this that is I really... Thought of, I thought about having her be able to give things guns too, but that proved to be a little too complicated. <laughs> so instead she just lights them on fire. That's pretty brilliant, I love that. Yeah. Uh, her other action is the mic swing. Okay. Which is a melee spell attack. Uh, plus six to hit. Reach a ten feet. One target. On a hit, it does, uh, on average, eleven thunder uh, damage. Because it's microphone. Yep. I get it. So that's why she is immune to fire and thunder. That's <laughs> because that's what she does. Yep. Those are her mediums. <laughs> yep. Uh, as a reaction, she has schedule slip. <laughs> which allows her to move ten feet, not provoking attacks of opportunity. <laughs> Damn it. So, so every time that we miss an episode, you can't hit she us. a little closer. <laughs> and you can't hit us. You nope. can't punch us. <laughs> wow, that's super creative. I love that. <laughs> oh, man. So that's what I did. Cool, cool. Um, okay. All right, back to me then. Uh, so I enjoyed making a background this season because I, I'd never made a background before. And I made one for uh, the protagonist of the host. Right. So I decided to make another background. Cool. Though I will admit this one's probably not as good as the one from the host, okay. but uh, this one is The Prepper. Okay. Inspired by Burt Gummer from the Tremor series. All right, cool, cool. Uh, some people think you're overprepared, paranoid, maybe even a little crazy. But those people never met some of the things you've had to face <laughs> down. You always have the right tool for the job, or at least something close, and you're never caught unprepared. Survival is everything to you, and while the rest of the world may look down their nose at you, you'll be a-okay while it burns down around you. <laughs> You've spent your life amassing the supplies needed to survive everything from the trip, uh, from a trip into the wilderness to an apocalyptic event that ends society as we know it. No matter the situation, you won't be caught unaware. Okay. Uh, skill proficiencies, proficiencies uh, you are proficient in medicine and survival. Uh, tool proficiencies, any two of your choice. And uh, starting equipment, you get a set of common clothing, 30 days worth of uh, rations, a backpack with a bedroll, a blanket, a hammer, a hunting trap, a lamp, a mess kit, a flask of oil, 10 pitons, 50 feet of hemp and rope, a collapsible shovel, a bar of soap, nice. a tinderbox, uh, a water skin, and a pouch containing 25 gold pieces. And yet that's still not enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Uh -oh. <laughs> Feature, always prepared. You have everything you need for any situation. You have a safe house, stash, or hidey hole filled with your collection of non-perishables and tools needed to survive even the most outlandish of situations. During character creation, work with your GM to decide where your supply is located and how you can regularly access it. Whenever you find yourself in need of a tool, item, or weapon, you simply have access to it as long as you can access your supply, provided that it costs 100 gold pieces or less and is not magical. Any items retrieved from, retrieved from your supply in this way have a functional value of zero gold pieces and cannot be sold or traded. Okay. So That's rad. Yeah. So basically, yeah. If, if, you, if you think that you have some equipment that isn't listed in the equipment, nope, you actually do. It's just at home. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, that's pretty rad. Yeah, but then that way also you couldn't just infinitely, like, produce... <laughs> like, here's 
an infinite number of hammers. I'm going to sell them for infinite money. So, <laughs> Infinite hammers. In, additionally, if you are using encumberment rules, all equipment in the adventuring gear section of the equipment weighs half of its original weight for you. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. That way you can also carry it all. <laughs> but also, I encourage you to not use the encumberment rules. <laughs> <laughs> I do encourage that. But, um, so suggested characteristics for your personality trait. Uh, there are eight different things. Um, one, I've isolated myself from society in an effort to avoid the problems society can cause. Mm-hmm. Two, I know many loopholes in the laws of my community and I exploit them for my benefit. Okay. Three, um, I often quote regulations and sanctions to justify my way of living, even if they're not 100% correct. <laughs> Four, I will defend what's me and mine at almost any cost. Um, five, I own supplies the masses have never even heard of, and I'm very proud of it. <laughs> six, I will jump at the chance to teach my friends how to improve their lives when I notice them using an inferior method. <laughs> seven, I've never served in a military of any sort, but I know everything <laughs> there is to know about the survival... <laughs> But I know everything there is to know about their survival practices and where to get their supplies. Jesus. <laughs> um, eight. I know how to jury rig most mundane tools and items like hammers, spears, and low-grade explosives. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, ideals, one of six. Survival. I will persist no matter what happens. Okay. Neutral. Uh, two. Pride. I am ready for anything, and everybody needs to know it. That's chaotic. Yeah. Uh, three, code of honor. I recognize that sometimes laws need to be broken in order to do good. Good. Four, independence. The only way to be truly strong is to be able to not rely on others. Neutral. Uh, five, community. While I don't trust governing bodies, I will do anything it takes to defend my community. Which is good. And six, pressure. If there isn't a looming disaster I can employ my skills and assets in, I'm a wreck. <laughs> Chaotic. Says Bert in the second movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Took the collapse of the Soviet Union pretty hard. <laughs> um, bond. So these are the bonds. There are six options. Um, number one, I have enough supplies to last several lifetimes. May as well share with a couple of close friends. Okay. Uh, two. My domain is under siege. I will stop at nothing to defend it. Castle doctor. <laughs> Three, I live to adapt to any situation, no matter how dire. Four, I care deeply for those around me, even if I'm not the best at showing it. Five, when backed into a corner, I'm usually the first to volunteer to do what nobody else wants to. Okay. Six, I'm most alive when things go wrong. I will be the leading force to persist. And finally, the flaws. Six of those options. Uh, one, I'm easily offended when my way of life is questioned. <laughs> Number two, the day I cannot access my supply will be the darkest in history. Number three, those who stand in my way don't stand for long. Historically, this has gotten to me into trouble more than it's helped. Four, I want others to think I don't care what they think of me. I actually really do. <laughs> Five, I'm judgmental of others' poor decisions, and they need to know it. And six... Some things in my supply are for my coll for collection's sake only, and I will do anything I can to avoid using them. Okay. <laughs> that's rad. So, I like that. All righty. Well, cool. <laughs> all righty. So uh, all right. that's back to you then. Back to me. Okay. So in the Carnosaur 2 episode, <laughs> uh, we noticed that there was a little lizard figurine <laughs> on top of that guy's computer. It wasn't a figurine. Well, it was a real lizard. It but... looked, yeah, yeah. But 
we kind of became obsessed with that little dude because <laughs> it was something to latch onto in that movie. <laughs> And yeah. it looked it legitimately looked like he was talking into a microphone at one point. BT dubs when you when you say that uh that Prey was probably the worst movie we've seen this yeah. season and Carnosaur 2 is on that list. Yeah, yeah. That's saying something. At least there was something in Carnosaur 2. <laughs> like true. Prey had nothing going for it. Prey had nothing. Like there was at least the insidious Dr. Aguana <laughs> in Carnosaur 2. Right. So yes, I have made a figurine of wondrous power of the insidious Dr. Aguana. Beautiful. So, uh, this is a wondrous item, rare. Uh, a figurine of a realistic plastic lizard. When you speak the command word and throw the figurine to a point on the ground within 60 feet of you, the figurine becomes a wicked lizard. <laughs> the wicked lizard is friendly to you and your companions if you are of any evil alignment. <laughs> if you are not, the wicked lizard will torment you until the end of its duration. <laughs> The figurine will remain a wicked lizard for two days, after which it cannot be activated for another two days. That's amazing. So and then we have the stat block for the wicked lizard. And I, I love the callback because wicked lizard was our band name in, in rock, rock band. band. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that for us. <laughs> yep. So the wicked lizard is a tiny beast in the evil alignment. Uh, armor class of 11, hit points 1, <laughs> which is 5d4 minus 15. <laughs> <laughs> Speed of 30. So he's a fast old dude. Yeah, okay. Uh, strength is a minus 3. Dexterity at a plus 1. Constitution at a minus 3. Intelligence at a plus 5. Fuck me. <laughs> he's a doctor. <laughs> That's true. Wisdom at a plus 4. And charisma at a plus 2. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. Condition immunities. Charmed, frightened, incapacitated, paralyzed, petrified, stunned, and unconscious. Okay. Uh, senses, a passive uh, perception of 14, language is common, and he has a challenge rating of 1. Alrighty. Uh, right, for attributes, he's got true evil never dies. <laughs> if the lizard would die, it instead vanishes to a demiplane known only to it, and reappears in the same spot in the same position at the start of the next combat round. Okay, so it's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of like blink. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Okay. Uh, actions, cause fear, once a day. Uh, the lizard casts the fear spell without needing any spell slots or components. The lizard's intelligence modifier is its spellcasting modifier. Alrighty. And then create a dinosaur. Recharge on a six. <laughs> the lizard summons a dinosaur-type beast of its choice of challenge rating two or less in an open space that it can see. <laughs> the summon beast is friendly to the uh, lizard and all creatures friendly to the lizard, but hostile to all others. <laughs> After taking its turn, the summon beast vanishes without a trace. Out of combat, this ability may only be used once per day or when it would be funny. <laughs> okay. I love it. That's pretty good. So that is the figurine of wondrous power, the insidious Dr. Iguana. Um, beautiful. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, my next one's going to be pretty short. Okay. I just made a couple feats. Neat. Uh, I did the fast learner. Uh, it is based off of the... Uh, Damn it. Damn it. But I sat down. Stop. He's so fucking happy. Stop, man. <laughs> You're a good boy. Stop. <laughs> Where were you when we were trying to get a happy tail? <laughs> oh, God, buddy. We may just have to deal with it. Yeah, they might. <laughs> All right. Um, first feat I have is Fast Learner, which uh -huh. is based off of the aforementioned movie Prey. Where the protagonist learns how to be an expert survivalist oh, right. in a day. 
Once per day, after observing someone roll an ability check for something they have proficiency in, you may also gain proficiency in that skill until your next long rest. Okay. Super simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have the, the only other feat that I have is, uh, deceptive tactics. It was inspired by the scene in Jeepers Creepers where, uh, our protagonist pretends that she can't get the car in gear. Oh, okay. So, uh, by pretending to prepare a different weapon or attack or by feigning ineptitude for an action, you can fool an enemy into a false sense of security. As a bonus action, you can make a, a uh, charisma deception check against a target's wisdom score. On a success, you gain advantage and a plus five to hit on the next weapon attack against that target. Okay. So, and those are my two feats. Okay, very cool. Um, as you may know, uh, I host a sister podcast on the channel, uh, Comics Crunch, where we talk about comics bullshit and then do a, a stat block about it. And as you may also know, I did a fuck ton of lizards for the Relic episode. Yes, you did. <clears throat> so I was thinking, like, what other humanoid lizards are there? And I thought of Killer Croc from Batman. Okay. Because he, he's a lizard man. He is. But he... Um, has had a couple of very different iterations. Sure. Um, because at one point, like at in the mid to late 80s, DC decided that their continuity was too complicated and they were going to reset it mm -hmm. in an event called uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. I'm which, vaguely familiar yeah, with that. It reduced the amount of parallel Earths to like a scant few, like reset everyone's continuity so that they were just talked about in generalizations and stuff like that and made it a lot simpler in theory to get into into dc comics sure uh well killer croc had been introduced not long before this event in the early 80s okay and he was actually introduced in the first comic that jason todd was introduced in okay the second robin and was very instrumental in that in jason todd's origin story okay um and He's a very different character from his modern iterations. Because in his modern iterations, he's a brute of a character. Like, right. he's a big crocodile person. Right. And in his original introduction, he was a, like, very cunning gang leader. Okay. Who just had a skin condition and was made fun of it because of it and decided to become, like... A supervillain. A supervillain to spite those who made fun of him. Sure, yeah. Embra and embrace that. brutal gang leader. Like, okay. He, he didn't like the name Killer Croc. He wanted to be known as King Croc. Okay. But everyone was, like, really hung up on the killers. He was like, fine, I'll kill. <laughs> okay. Um, and he killed Jason Todd's parents and was very instrumental in his origin story. Oh. So, first we have his pre-crisis iteration. Okay. The Gangster Dial. <laughs> who is a medium humanoid of any evil alignment. Uh, I fucked that up entirely. <laughs> That's a weird armor class. Yeah, that really is. Why did that happen? <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I did I paste it in the wrong place? No, I don't know what the fuck happened there. I don't know why that happened. <laughs> I couldn't tell you, because like he had, I I remember giving him hide armor is the thing. Ah, well, that'll have to be fixed later. Um, he has some sort of armor. Some class. sort of armor class, yeah. Um, and then he has uh, hit points of thirty-two, which is five d eight plus ten. And a speed of 30 feet, plus 2 to strength, plus 1 to dex, plus 2 to constitution, plus 1 to intelligence, plus 0 to wisdom, and a minus 1 to charisma. Alrighty. Uh, saving throws, uh, plus 4 to strength, and a plus 3 to intelligence. Skills, he's got athletics at a plus 4, uh, intimidation with uh, expertise at a plus 3, and survival at a plus 2. 
For damage resistances, he's got bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from uh, non-magical attacks. Passive perception at a 10. And common languages at a challenge rating 3. His only attribute is never smile at a crocodile. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Attacks made by the gangster dial targeting the opposing creature with the highest initiative are made at advantage and do an extra 1d6 of damage. Okay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So he wants to take out the, the fastest person against him. Yeah, yeah. You you uh you definitely like playing with the yes, initiative order a lot and that's It's a resource that they never touch. Right, right. So I will. I'll touch all over it. Alrighty. Put your put your grubby hands all over yep. it. Yep. Uh for actions, he's got multi attack. The gangster dial makes two punch attacks, or a punch attack and a revolver attack. <laughs> <laughs> Why punch when you can shoot? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's also got Call Goons, which recharges on a six. The Gangster Dial summons two allied bandits in empty spaces within 30 feet of the Gangster Dial. Okay. Leadership recharges after a shorter long rest. For one minute, the Gangster Dial can utter a special command or warning whenever a non-hostile creature that it can see within 30 feet of it makes an attack roll or a saving throw. 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 The creature can add a d4 to its roll, provided it can hear and understand the gangster dial. The creature can benefit from only one leadership die at a time. This effect ends if the gangster dial is incapacitated. All right. Uh, then he's got his punch, which is a melee attack with a plus four to hit. Reach of five feet, one target. Hit uh, does nine on average, bludgeoning damage. And the revolver, which is a ranged weapon attack uh, with a plus three to hit. Range of 4120, one target. Hit, it does 10 piercing damage. So I know that that's just D&D rules, but it uh-huh. is hilarious to me that him punching you is about the same as him shooting you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, it's because he's not as fast as he is strong, and apparently that applies when you're shooting people. And as a reaction, he's got guard my body. Damage from an attack that would hit the gangster dial is instead dealt to an allied creature within five feet of the gangster dial. <laughs> that's pretty good. Okay. So that's why he wants to summon those goons. Yeah. So he can surround himself with them and they can take the damage for him. Yeah, they're not there to fight for him. Oh, God, no. They're tiny boys. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's pretty cool. All right. And now we have Killer Croc's more modern day interpretations, which started happening in the Batman the Animated Series, Mm -hmm. where, like, especially in the, the Almost Got Him episode where all the villains are playing cards... And Croc's just like, I hit him with a rock. Yeah. <laughs> but it was Batman. Yeah, Spoilers. But it's, so it's it's not even Killer Croc, uh-huh. but that's been his entire characterization for the past 30 years. Jesus. Yeah. And especially uh, from the Arkham games on up, where he is literally a monster person. Uh-huh. Like, he is a giant crocodile. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's cool as shit in those games. Yeah, but, yeah. No, But every time you say Killer Croc, that episode exactly. where he says, exactly. I hit him with a rock. It was a big, big rock. rock. Yeah. That runs through my mind on repeat every yeah, yeah. time his name is invoked. Exactly, exactly. So. And that's because this has been his characterization for, like I said, 30 years now. Uh-huh. As opposed to the, like... Original. Four he had with the original <laughs> one. So, he's definitely kind of degraded from his original incantation. Right. They tried to do it a couple times, but the biggest problem he has is Bane exists. Yeah. And Bane is, like, a huge gangster guy who's very cunning and very smart and, like, Batman's equal in intellectual... So it's very hard for Killer Croc to kind of do the same thing, but not as well. Yeah. So they they did just kind of make him a huge, dumb monster guy. I mean, in more recent comics, he's being taught how to read. 
and oh. stuff like that. Oh. Like he's reading, like he's having Enchantress read kids books to him and stuff. Oh. So it's... I find that incredibly <laughs> endearing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alright. So yeah, we have the Hulking Croco Man. Uh-huh. Who is a large humanoid. Uh, neutral evil. Armor class of 16, natural armor. Hit points is 68, 8d8, plus 24, speed of 30 feet, swim of 60 feet. Sure. Uh, strength at a plus 4, dex at a plus 0, constitution at a plus 3, intelligence at a minus 2, wisdom at a minus 1, and charisma at a minus 2. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> For saving throws, he's got uh, strength at a plus 6 and constitution at a plus 5. Sure. For skills, athletics at a plus 6, intimidation with expertise at a plus 2. Because <laughs> you have to, otherwise... Yeah. I'm, I, although I am thinking of different ways of doing that. Um, yeah. And now that we're doing these stat blocks inspired by D&D 5th edition, not yeah, for yeah. it, I have an idea, but we'll get to that in the uh, future. Perception at a plus one, stealth at a plus two, because when he's underwater, he can be surprisingly quiet. Yeah. And he's survival, a crocodile. <laughs> and uh, survival at a plus one, damage vulnerabilities to cold, because he's, he's a more of a rip reptile at this point than a person. Yeah. Uh, damage resistances to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks. I get tough hide. Yep. Uh, passive perception at 11. He speaks common, kind of. More <laughs> just screaming at people <laughs> and roaring. And he has a challenge rating of 4. Alrighty. Okay, I, I, his challenge rating might be low considering what he can do. So we'll find <laughs> out here. The challenge ratings, as ever, are bullshit. So. Sure, sure. Alright. Our boy is an ambusher. Which means he has advantage on attack rolls made against any creature it has surprised. Uh, Blood Frenzy. He has advantage on melee attacks uh, against any creature that doesn't have all of its hit points. And then he's got the death roll ability. Mm -hmm. When the Crocoman deals damage to a creature it has grappled, double that damage. Dang. So that's why I'm not entirely certain about the critical. Or about the challenge rating. That's where it gets sticky. Yeah, that's pretty sticky. Uh, He's also got Keen Smell. He's got advantage on wisdom perception checks that rely on smell. Sure. Limited amphibiousness. The Crocoman can breathe air and water, but it needs to be submerged at least once every four hours to avoid suffocation. Now that's unlike a crocodile. <laughs> yeah, it should really be the other way around, but oh well. All right. <laughs> He's more amphibious than, than reptile. Yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. <laughs> so it really should be he needs to be out of water once every yeah, four hours. Yeah, I think it's more of he can just hold his breath. <laughs> right, yeah. His... Whatever. But... That's how the limited amphibiousness ability reads. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, savage attacks. When the Crocoman scores a critical hit with a melee weapon attack, it can roll one of the weapon's damage dice one additional time and add it to the extra damage of the critical hit. Whoo. Yeah. <laughs> and that's also why Death Roll doesn't give it an automatic critical. It just doubles the damage. Yeah, uh, but still, like, but that means also it's separate from critical. Yes. So if he Death Rolls you on a critical, oh you're, my oh, god. you're going to die. That's, that's so much damage. Yeah. All right, so uh, the Croco Man ha- has multi-attack. Uh, he makes a bite attack, a claw attack, and a tail attack. Okay. Uh, the bite is a melee weapon attack, plus six to hit, reach of five feet. One target uh, on a hit, it does average of 13 piercing damage, and the target must succeed on a DC 16 dex saving throw or be grappled. Escape DC 18. Yowza. <laughs> Until this grapple ends, the target is restrained, and the Croco Man can't bite another target. Yeah, but you don't want you don't he's gonna be biting you and that's gonna be bad. Yeah. And then claw attack uh is a plus six to hit, reach of five feet, one target, hit eleven on average slashing damage. 
And the tail is a melee weapon attack with a plus 6 to hit, reach of 10 feet, 1 target on a hit, 9 on average bludgeoning damage, and the target must succeed on a DC 16 deck saving throw or be knocked prone. Damn. Yeah, he's probably a little higher than a challenge mm -hmm. rating 4, but whatever. Alrighty, cool. So, that's, back... That's the Killer Crocs. Alrighty. So, when we started... When we first started working on Alien 3 mm -hmm. Kibbles... Um, I decided to take a massive bite out of something that I could not chew. Absolutely <laughs> could not chew. Bite. <laughs> Good Lord. Even bigger. Um, and I decided that I wanted to make a subclass for every existing class. <laughs> I made it, I think five before I, yeah. I decided that that was not going to happen for this kibbles. Um, though that being said, I do plan on doing the rest of them and okay. maybe sprinkling them throughout the rest of the year as just add-ons right. in our normal kibbles. Okay. Um, but I did do a few of them, and I'd like to share those with you today. Okay. Um, most of these are just kind of generally inspired by things that we've seen in these movies. Mm -hmm. um, others are just kind of things I think are neat. Um, and not generally directly based off of any specific thing. Uh, so first and foremost, we did the Artificer. Or I did the Artificer, which was probably my downfall because Artificer is such a complicated class. That, yeah, I've had a couple of ideas for Artificer, and then you look at everything that's involved in one of them, and it's just like, no, I'm not touching that. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. I don't recommend it. I do like what I did, okay. and I do feel confident about it. Okay. I would never do it again. Okay. <laughs> but uh, the Artificer, uh, this is the mad scientist, kind of inspired by, like, uh, the fly, mm -hmm. like uh, like uh, Jeff Goldblum's character, the fly, or literally any other mad scientist yeah. character you Dr. Think Frankenstein of. and exactly. so on and so forth. Yep. Science and engineering breed a certain creativity that invokes ideas that many would shy away from. Not the mad scientist. To them, the bastardization of life and magic is simply a means to an end. Namely, making something really cool. <laughs> so, uh, they get a skill proficiency. Uh, third, the first thing they have is skill proficiency, a third level man, mad scientist feature. Uh, you gain proficiency in medicine. If you already have proficiency in medicine, you gain expertise in it instead. Okay. Uh, next, you've got third level mad scientist feature, um, which are just some extra spells like all artificer subclasses have. You always have a certain uh, spells prepared after you reach a particular level in this class, as shown in the mad scientist spell table. These spells count as artificer spells for you, but they don't count against the number of artificer spells you can prepare. At third level, those are identify and witch bolt. Fifth level, enlarge, reduce, and gentle repose. To keep your subjects alive a lot longer. <laughs> um, at ninth level, animate dead and lightning bolt. Thirteenth level, fabricate and polymorph. And at seventeenth level, dance macabre and raise dead. I'm unfamiliar with the dancing macabre spell. It is a fifth level necromancy uh, spell uh, that requires concentration and lasts for an hour. Mm -hmm. uh, threads of dark power leap from your fingers to pierce up to five small or medium corpses okay. that you can see within range. Each corpse immediately stands up and becomes undead. Okay. Okay. So it just makes a little, little zombie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it is just more than just the one. Okay. So. Okay. Cool. Alrighty. Um, the next feature at third level is called medium of lightning. Lightning is a key component in your work. It fuels everything from your most mundane of infusions up to your most questionable inventions. You learn the Shocking Grasp cantrip. This does not count against the total number of cantrips you can learn. If you already know Shocking Grasp, choose another cantrip from the Artificer cantrip list. Okay. Um, you also get the Beloved Abomination feature Ooh. at third level. I like the sound of that. <laughs> 
Using a fusion of flesh, steel, and lightning, you've learned how to breathe life into your creations. You now have a beloved abomination of your own design that can do your bidding. It is friendly to you and your companions, and it obeys your commands. See the game statistics in the Beloved Abomination stat block, which uses your proficiency bonus in several places. Uh, you choose its appearance, though it has no effect on its in-game statistics. Okay. In combat, the Abomination shares your initiative count, but it takes its turn immediately after yours. It can move and use its reaction on its own, but the only action it can take on its turn is the dodge action, unless you take a bonus action on your turn to command it to take any other action. Uh, that action could be one on its stat block or some other action. If you are incapacitated, the Abomination can take any action of its choice, not just dodge. The Abomination heals when it takes lightning damage from any source. If it has died within the last hour, you can use your action to revive it, provided you are within five feet of it and you expend a spell slot of first level or higher. The Beloved Abomination returns to life after one minute with all of its hit points restored. And at the end of a long rest, you can create a new Beloved Abomination if you have Smith's tools with you. If you already have an abomination from this feature, the first one immediately perishes. The abomination also perishes if you die. Okay. Now, this is almost word for word the exact same thing as the Steel Defender stat block okay. from the from that Artificer subclass. Okay. There's a few minor tweaks and changes here, but that is, for the most part, what this is. Okay. But the uh, what makes this thing unique is the beloved abomination itself. It is a medium construct with an armor class of 9. Its hit points are five plus your intelligence moder modif moder moder five plus your intelligence modifier plus eight times your artificer level. The artificer, um, the abomination has a number of hit dice of uh, d8s equal to your artificer level, and its speed is not twelve feet. That's a holdover from where it was. Uh, its speed is going to be thirty feet. <laughs> I was going to say, how do you compute that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, home brewery. Um, <laughs> I just apparently skipped that. It's <coughs> its speed is thirty feet. Okay. Uh, it's got a plus four in strength, a minus one in dex, which is why it's so easy to hit. Plus three in constitution, a minus three in intelligence, plus zero in wisdom, and a minus three in charisma. Uh, saving throw proficiencies of strength, um, which is a plus four plus your proficiency bonus, and a constitution plus two plus your proficiency bonus. Okay. Uh, its skills are Athletics and Intimidation, which are both plus fours plus your proficiency bonus. And it's got damage immunities to Lightning and Poison, Condition immunities to Charmed, Exhausted, Frightened, frightened and Poison. Uh, dark Vision up to 60 feet, Passive Perception of 10 plus your proficiency bonus times two. Uh, it understands the languages you speak, and its proficiency bonuses equals equal to yours. Okay. It has the Berserk feature, which is lifted pretty much directly from the uh, Flesh Golem right. from Stat Block. Because that's a Frankenstein, so. Exactly. Um, although this one in the, uh, like on the Flesh Golem, it's like a specific number of hit points that it has to be below. Uh -huh. This is a bit different in that it's a, it's like one, I forget what exactly it is. But uh, fewer than half, it yep. says. Whenever the Abomination starts its turn with fewer than half of its maximum hit points, roll a d6. On a 6, the Abomination goes Berserk. On each of its turns, while Berserk, the Abomination attacks the nearest creature it can see. If no creature is near enough to move to and attack, the Abomination attacks an object with preference of an object smaller than itself. Once the Abomination goes Berserk, it continues to do so until it is destroyed or regains all its hit points. If you are within 60 feet of the Berserk Abomination, you can try to calm it by speaking firmly and persuasively. The Abomination must be able to hear you and must take an action, uh, and you must take an action to make a DC 14 uh, persuasion check. If the check succeeds, the Abomination ceases being Berserk. If it takes damage while it's still at, at fewer than half of its maximum hit points, it might go Berserk again. So, 
Uh, it's also gotten a version to fire. Yeah, because fire bad. Yep. If the abomination takes fire damage, it is disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks until the end of its next turn. Okay. Lightning abs- absorption. Whenever the abomination is subjected to lightning lightning damage, it takes no damage and instead regains a number of hit points equal to the lightning damage dealt. Okay. So that's how you heal it. Yeah, you can just shock and grasp that guy. <laughs> exactly. Um, which is kind of like. I, I'm kind of patting myself on the back here because the uh, the steel defender uh-huh. is very similar in that the only way to repair it is to like out in combat is to cast uh, mending mending on. Mm-hmm. So I think the only difference is that mending takes like a minute to do. Yeah, and shocking grasp is instantaneous, so this is a little bit more powerful. You just juice but, that guy. But then again, he can go berserk, so you're yeah. probably going to want to be doing that. Um. He, he does have magic resistance. He's got advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. Okay, so does that include the lightning that you're zapping him with? I figure you can you can um, choose to fail. Okay. So. <laughs> Stop resisting me! <laughs> <laughs> Unless the DM wants him to be resistant. It just kind of depends, I guess. Um, but his uh, he has, he's also got magic weapons. His weapon attacks are considered magical. And his only actions are slam. Melee weapon attack, uh, your spell attack modifier to hit. Reach of five feet, one target. Um, on a hit, as one d six plus four plus your proficiency bonus in bludgeoning damage. Okay. I want to play one of these so bad, Matt. Oh, just wait, because it did gets... you just make a, a like? This is what Chris would enjoy playing <laughs> class. Like, is well, this what you, is this what you did? It gets more interesting. Is it my birthday, Matt? <laughs> it gets more interesting, more complicated, uh-huh. but more interesting. At fifth level, you get field upgrades. <laughs> I'm loving that first line. <laughs> Um, you can now graft tools, weapons, and other objects to your beloved abomination. <laughs> At the end of a short rest, you can attach any mundane metal object to your beloved abomination to grant it new properties. Doing so requires the appropriate material components as specified by the upgrade type and consumes the item. Your abomination can have a maximum of two upgrades, referred to as upgrade slots. <laughs> Uh, any more causes the body to destabilize and it rejects the oldest upgrade it received in order to accommodate the new one. Okay. The abominations makeup cannot accommodate magical items. So this is a list of the upgrades you can give it. A melee weapon, which takes up any melee weapon. Mm-hmm. You replace the abomination slam attack with the appropriate weapon attack, adding your proficiency bonus to the damage. If a two-handed weapon is chosen, it takes two upgrade slots. And uh, this uh, upgrade can be chosen multiple times. Okay. So you can give it like two swords for hands. Um, another upgrade is the ranged weapon. Any, it requires any crossbow or other mechanical ranged weapon. So I do not recommend giving him that because his dexterity is very bad. <laughs> it's not great, but the abomination gains the appropriate ranged, ranged attack, um, adding your proficiency bonus to the damage. If a two handed weapon is chosen, it takes two upgrade slots, which again can be used. And this skin can be used uh, multiple times. Okay. Uh, armor plating, which requires any metal armor. The abomination space AC is set to 12. Alrighty. Uh, you can give him a shield, which requires any metal shield. You increase the Abomination's AC by plus two, and this can only be chosen once, because you can only, if uh, player characters can only even be uh, gain the benefits of a shield once. Right. So even if you graft two shields to him, he's only getting the plus two. Uh, you can uh, give him a coating dispenser, <laughs> which, which requires a small container with a stopper, such as a glass bottle, flask, or vial. Uh, you must, and you must already have a melee weapon upgrade already installed. Uh, the container can be filled with acid, poison, or any other weapon coating. When the abomination hits with a melee attack using its melee weapon, it can use its bonus action to immediately dispense the coating, applying the coating to its melee weapon and inflicting it upon the target. The dispenser must be refilled after each use. This can be chosen multiple times. 
<laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> Next is the Caltrop dispenser. <laughs> he just poops out Caltrops. <laughs> a, com- a small container that can uh, be closed, such as a backpack, pouch, or a small chest. The Abomination can use a bonus action to immediately empty the contents of the container, spilling them on the ground in a 10-foot radius directly behind it. Can And this can again be chosen multiple times. And finally, you can give it an ocular enhancement, which requires either two magnifying glasses or a single spyglass. <laughs> Just click over his eyes and... <laughs> the Abomination gains advantage on perception checks that rely on sight, and it cannot be surprised. Oh, fuck that silly. I love it. God, I love it, man. I love my beautiful boy! <laughs> Next, at ninth level, the uh, the mad scientist gains the magical upgrades feature. Your prowess and skill at working with your abomination has allowed you to stabilize its makeup even more than, uh, than ever before, and it can now accommodate more and better upgrades. It now has a total of four upgrade slots available. <laughs> Additionally, you've learned how to utilize the latent magics in many magic items and repurpose them into new available upgrades. So in addition to being able to just choose the other ones, you can right. now choose from this list. Okay. Multi-attack. It uh, requires a magic item of any rarity. Uh, The Abomination can now make an additional melee or ranged attack on each of its turns. Okay. This can only be chosen once. (laughs) Uh, You can give him a static shock, which requires a magical item of any rarity. As a bonus action, the Abomination can deal 2d8 plus your proficiency bonus of lightning damage to itself. Any creature actively touching the Abomination takes half of the damage as well. Oh, so he can heal himself and fry people around him. Yep. Neat. Um, especially if, like, if he's grappling somebody or if they're grappling him. Right. Um, you can give him enhanced focus, which requires a magical item of at least uncommon rarity. The Abomination's Berserk trait does not trigger until it is at at or below one-fourth of its maximum hit points rounded up. Uh, you can give him the enhanced ability, which requires a magical item of at least rare rarity, which is a really awkward way of saying that, but... Uh, but inc- you can increase any attribute by two to a maximum of 20. This can only be chosen once. Oh, so you can get his dexterity up to zero at least. <laughs> uh, and then finally, magical upgrade, which requires a magic item of no more than a rare rare rarity that does not require attunement. Jesus. It grants the abomination the same attack or ability as detailed by the chosen oh, magical oh. item. The Abomination can only accommodate two magic items at any time in this way, and the item is destroyed if it is ever removed from the Abomination. Goodness. Yes. That could be wild. It could be incredibly wild. I don't know how balanced that is, but that's why it can't be higher than a rare rarity. Right, yeah. (laughs) I'm going to give him a deck of many things. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That one's definitely going to have to work with the GM on. Uh, Yeah. But but I think it could be fun. Um. And finally, at 15th level, you get Supreme Magical Upgrades. You have perfected your beloved Abomination and can model it in nearly any way you wish. The Abomination gains an additional two upgrade slots and can accommodate up to four magic items of any rarity. Additionally, <laughs> additionally, you can now graft up to two magical items that require attunement. So these you can these can be attuned to. When you do so, the Abomination automatically attunes to them, regardless of the race, class, spell, and level requirements of the item. So it has a total of six upgrade slots now, right? Uh-huh. And 
God. Up to four of those can be magic items of any rarity. And it, and it ignores attunement. And, and all well, for ignores two, all requirements. Two and, of them can be uh, right. attunable and ignores the requirements. Which is actually a little in line with the Artificer itself. Because at yeah. 15th level, the Artificer has like six attunement slots yeah, and can exactly. ignore attunement restrictions. Right, right. So, That's why Artificers are cool. Yeah, they are really cool. And this thing is... Banana bonkers. God, I love that so much, Matt. And that is my Artificer subclass that was a pain in the ass to make, and I hope it works, but I do think it is fun. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'll do one more, and then we'll jump over to you, and then we'll finish me off. Yeah, because I just got a little one, but it's a neat little one. Right. So, next I did the Barbarian. Uh, This is the Path of Vengeance, which is inspired by, like, Vengeful Hero archetype, kind of like what we see in the host or like Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in the predator. Okay. Basically the hero that takes a lot of abuse throughout the most of the movie. And then at the <laughs> end just goes buzz bananas. Right. So, uh, sometimes the power barbarians harness isn't of a divine or spiritual source. Sometimes the fires of rage are stoked from within and burn hot with the will to right a grievous wrong done unto them. When a barbarian is pushed to the brink and has nothing left to lose, they unleash their fury in an almost supernatural display of resolve and determination that rivals that of even the greatest of foes. What sets this path apart from the rest is that when the barbarian enters their rage, they don't become savage, brutish monsters with a thirst for blood. Instead, they adapt a much calmer demeanor that appears cool and collected from the outside. But those who know better are very much aware of the barbarian's potential and complete disregard for limits during these times. So first they get Calm Fury, uh, starting at third level when you take this path. Your rage manifests in a more subdued yet just as deadly manner. Instead, your rage festers within and builds, leaving you able to think through your actions and inflict the most damage when you're ready. If you can cast spells, you can now do so and also concentrate them on them while raging. Additionally, you do not lose your rage if you fail to attack a hostile creature or take damage since your last turn. Okay, that already is crazy. Uh-huh. Uh, wait for an opening is the next one. At level six, uh, you can use an action to hone your rage and calculate the proper time to strike. If you do not attack during this turn, all of your attacks during your next turn are considered to be critical hits if they hit, and you may make an extra attack in addition to any other attacks you make during that turn. So you skip a turn attacking and your next turn is just crazy. crazy. Yeah, exactly. Jesus. Then, Building Rage. At 10th level, you've learned to temper your rage and unleash it in retribution of those who have harmed you. Whenever you take damage from a creature that is hostile to you while you're raging, you gain one Retribution die, which is a d4. The next time you hit with an attack, you add all your Retribution dice to the damage, and they are lost. Retribution dice are also lost when you end your rage. Wow. So, that way you can't just... (laughs) <laughs> stockpile them during like yeah. out of combat like you're just stabbing there you're sitting there in a long rest stabbing yourself in the arm and building retribution yeah yeah dice. but uh but yeah it makes the next attack brutal and then finally strike the weak point at level 14 your patient fury has paid off and you've learned when and how to strike your foe where it will hurt the most When you take damage from a creature, you can use your reaction to mark that creature. Until the end of your next turn, if you hit the marked creature with a melee attack, it is considered vulnerable to bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing damage, your choice, for that attack. If it was resistant to those types of damage, it is considered normal instead. If the target is invulnerable to the chosen type of damage, the feature has no effect on it. Okay. So. That's pretty rad. Wow, fuck. Yeah, so it's... Just a damage factory. Huge damage factory, just kind of a... I wanted to build, make a barbarian that wasn't focused on just savagely attacking every turn. Right. This one, you benefit from doing nothing on a turn. If 
there's one thing I would add, Matt. It's under uh, the Calm Fury. Mm-hmm. I would state when the rage does end. <laughs> the the um, for or for all barbarians, uh-huh. it says that rage lasts a minute. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. okay, cool. So yeah, okay, and works. this is no exception. So after a minute, you're done. You're okay. out of the rage, and you lose all of those benefits. Okay, okay, yep. So we're good. All right then. All right, back to you. Okay. Oh Lord. <laughs> so, um, you may remember our holiday episode from, our Christmas episode from last year. And if you do, I am so sorry. <laughs> where we did the uh, Beauty and the Beast, the Enchanted Christmas. Lord have mercy, I don't know why you did that. So that sucks. <laughs> we gotta redo this part. Yeah. Um, our audio farted itself at the last possible moment last time, so. Yeah, I mean, at, at least it did it at the end and not at the beginning. Right, right, because <laughs> that... I wouldn't want to have to redo this whole thing. Right? That would that would have sucked. Um, but anyway, yeah, so it, 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 it... So my last thing is I got a new lineage for us. Alrighty. And uh, you may remember in uh, our Christmas episode last year, we did the Beauty and the Beast, the Enchanted Christmas. For some reason. Because it was great. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was a little a little guy in that movie... And his name was Lumiere, and little, he was a, a candlestick guy. A little candle man. Candle, candleman. <laughs> so, uh, this is the new lineage, the fuckboy candelabra. <laughs> so, uh, what? So you, okay. You got a problem with that? <laughs> no, I, I guess not. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so, suggested ability, uh, suggested ability score increases, uh, charisma plus two and dex plus one. I mean, that makes sense. He's, yep. he is, a, he, he's French, so charisma? Well, it's more like he sings well, and he's okay. just a little guy, so he darts around the place. And yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Uh, for languages, you have common French and one other. <laughs> Canoniz- canonizing France yeah. or French as a yeah. as a thing in D anD D. You'll be the only person who speaks it, but damned if you can't. <laughs> you and if you convince other players to play as right, a right, yeah, opera, yeah. you can all speak in your own secret language. Yeah, yeah. French. Yep. Uh, for a creature type, you are small, or for a creature type, you are a construct. Right, right, right. And size, you are small. Uh-huh. Uh, I was going to do tiny because he's not... He's a tiny... He's a little, 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 little guy. Elaborate, but... but when you start making tiny player characters, you have to introduce tiny weapons and armor for them. It, it does... <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> it's just, it's more... I know, it's... It's the Mass Effect problem. <laughs> right, right. It, it it becomes an issue. I can see it. I mean, in your players' hearts and heads, they can be... They can be itty-bitty. That's yeah, what we yeah. did with the... Uh, when Penny's character... Or when Penny played a, uh, a, fairy. a fairy in yeah. one of our campaigns. Because fairies but... are classified as small, too. Right, right. Which is a fucking big fairy. It's a huge fairy. That's a foot-tall fairy. At, at least. <laughs> That's a cherubim. <laughs> yeah. That thing's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah i get it i mean and there's there's big candelabras right so right yeah uh for speed uh you move 30 feet i mean standard standard i mean you, you gotta hobble a little bit yep. but that's from some fast hobbling yeah yeah and then um as the attributes for your lineage uh first is wax and brass you are resistant to psychic damage and vulnerable to fire damage <laughs> melty wax melty wax and melty brass yep and then uh for the second one uh tiny lights you know the dancing lights cantrip uh, <laughs> okay 
When you reach third level, you can cast the Burning Hand spell as a second level spell once with this trait and regain the ability to do so when you finish a long rest. Charisma is your spellcasting ability for these spells. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good. I like that. And we literally see him do it in the movies where he goes, woof, and just fire yeah, comes out of his hands. I mean, Candelabra is armed. Yeah. <laughs> Natural weapons fire. Yeah. I thought about doing that. <laughs> well, this this makes more systematic sense. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that that is the fuckboy Candelabra. Okay. Does, um, yeah. He's a construct, but he does still require food and air and water. Like, I'd assume so. Okay. Uh, just make it sure. Just make it sure. Because he's, he's a person who's turned into a construct. So, so even if he still... doesn't have to, I'm sure he would like to. He, <laughs> he would like to eat. Yeah. But he, but, well, I mean, in this, because of this, he does still have to. Right. Which does right. imply that. He poops, yes. Well, where do you think the fire come from, Matt? <laughs> that is not where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> he got to have fuel for it somewhere. Well, I was going to say age. He ages. Oh. He grows. He's a growing candelabra. Could be, yes. So, we'll have to put in an age. How fast do candelabras mature? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know enough. <laughs> as fast as they need to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, then then we get started getting into the the whole weirdness with Chip that we were talking about in the episode. Right? Too. Yes. So yes. Maybe we do need to dive into this a little bit deeper. <laughs> I mean, we can just put in there that you you know just like the with the Warforged where you don't need food or sleep or anything like that. No, we, but I like this better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like this better because it does add more to the lore we were talking about. Ah, okay. So, well, cool. Now you can be a little. <laughs> Fuckboy Candelabra. Now you can be Lumiere, and if you combine it with some of other stuff, you could be Lumiere as the Ghost Rider. Yeah. I like uh, putting him with your uh, musical bard. The, like one you... that, the, one about, the one I'm about to cover? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it does kind of make thematic sense. It's it almost like we planned this. Yeah, we did not. We did but, not. But... but that would be the perfect character. <laughs> right? So um, that's, a good, that's a good segue back into me. Right. So I've got two more subclasses to go. Um, next is, uh, I made a bard, as you, said, as you mentioned. Uh-huh. Uh, this is the College of Communal Theater subclass. Inspired <laughs> by musicals. We've covered a few at this point, so... Uh, th- three thus far, as of the point of this recording, three. Um, <laughs> after Halloween, four. <laughs> Technically. What? Bards who follow the College of Communal Theater know the power of community and the inspiring nature of a performance put on by an entire troupe. These bards inspire others to join in on their performance and add to the effect and greatness of the art. So, when you when you start this, when you join this uh, college at third level, you get eloquent performance, uh, which is you can start a ballad, play, or a musical style number that details your thoughts, feelings, and general actions at the time. As a bonus action, you can spend a point of bardic inspiration to begin your eloquent performance, which lasts for up to three minutes, but can be ended by you at any time. While performing... You act as if concentrating on a spell, and your performance ends early if you fail a concentration saving throw. You can concentrate on the eloquent performance in addition to another spell that requires concentration. So, it, it, it doesn't use concentration, but it mm-hmm. does act like concentration. Okay, okay. So, um, Then we have The More the Merrier, at beginning at third level, during your eloquent, com- uh, during your eloquent performance, you can spend a bonus action to target up to three other creatures... Those creatures can make a DC 10 
charisma performance check to join in on your show, each gaining your charisma modifier to any attack rolls and ability checks they make while you perform with at a minimum of one in case you made a really fucked up bard who has a <laughs> negative in charisma. Um, you can do this a number of times per long rest equal to your charisma modifier. Again, minimum of one. Mm-hmm. Um, creatures that cannot hear you cannot benefit from this ability. Uh, the number of targets you can select increases with your level in this class, increasing to 5 at 5th level, 7 at 10th level, and 9 at 15th level. Okay. So you inspire your friends to join in and make them a little bit better at everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, at 3rd level, you get everybody now. Um, you can try to force your foes in on the eloquent performance. While performing, you can spend a bonus action to target up to two creatures and force them to make a charisma performance check with a DC equal to your spellcasting ability modifier. On a failure, they roll all attack and ability checks at disadvantage for the duration of your eloquent performance. Creatures that cannot hear you or cannot be charmed are immune to this ability. And then again, the number of creatures um, that you can... Select increases with the level in your class, so increasing to four at fifth level, six at tenth level, and eight at fifteenth level. Okay. So yeah, bring in bring in your friends, bring in your enemies. <laughs> Those who perform well do good. Those who perform mm-hmm. poorly, well, they suffer. Um, next we have the world is my muse. So beginning at sixth level, your eloquent performance has gotten so moving and powerful that it is almost as if reality itself bends to accommodate your show. While your eloquent performance is active, you may add your proficiency bonus to any ability check you roll. If you are already proficient in that skill, you may add your proficiency bonus a second time. So mm. this way, uh, you can do it outside of combat and sing your way up that cliff or over the over the gap <laughs> or through the tunnel full of water or whatever. Right. <laughs> so, and then finally, we have yes and at four at fourteenth level. Your ability to improvise your performance has become so inspiring to others uh, that they can freely join in. During your eloquent performance, when a creature uses one of your bardic inspiration dice on a successful roll, they can use their reaction to choose any number of creatures that they can see within 30 feet of them, including you, and give them a bardic inspiration die as if you had, without expending any uses of your own. (laughs) So... Just kind of passes on the right. love, but but only once. Only, only, once. only once. So otherwise, it would be broke as all hell. I mean, It'd this still may silly. be broke. I don't know, but um, but yeah, that's my my um, musical theater part. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, for right now, I have a subclass for the cleric. This is the madness domain, um, inspired by Cthulhu and those mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, some truths were never meant to be known, and some secrets designed to be left uncovered. Those who peer into the maw of darkness that conceals these facets of reality often find their minds fractured and the world crashing down around them. There are others, though, who have seen past the veil and come out stronger, if not weirder, than before. Those who follow the madness domain are some such individuals. They have seen the truth learned the secrets, and now hear the whispers of the greater cosmos, and they desire nothing more than to spread the good word. The deities who govern the domain of madness are as as unfathomable as the truths they conceal. Impossible beings with impossible desires and impossible ideals. The, The most recognizable of these gods is Cthulhu, but make no mistake, there are others. 
and they are just as hungry. Clerics who worship these unknowable entities can't fully comprehend them, and yet they try. An unreachable goal, not only well beyond your, their grasp, but mired among things that would have would drive lesser beings in beyond their wits and into an unending nightmare of their own design. And yet, these clerics try. So, we get these Madness Domain spells. Mm -hmm. um, at first level, you get Arms of Hater, Dissonant Whispers. At third level, you get Crown of Madness and Mind Spike. Fifth level, you get Bestow, Curse, and Enemies Abound. Seventh level, you get Black Tentacles and Shadow of Moil. And ninth level, you get Contact Other Plane and Dominate Person. That's uh, some nasty shit. <laughs> yep. Um, so then there's some bonus cantrips. Uh, when you choose this domain at first level, you gain the Mind Sliver cantrip if you don't already know it. This cantrip doesn't count against the number of cleric cantrips you know. Um, also, we have Maddening Aura. At first level, you gain an aspect of your Dark Deity, which only those closest to you can perceive. And what better way to get close to someone than to, be, to draw their blood? Whenever you are hit with a melee attack, you can use your reaction to force that creature to make a wisdom saving throw against your spell casting save DC. On a failure, that creature is frightened of you for one minute. The creature can repeat this saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the effect on a success. Once they succeed, they are immune to the effects of your aura for one hour. Creatures that cannot be charmed or frightened are immune to this effect. And you can use this feature a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier, minimum of one, again, in case you made a really weird cleric, <laughs> um, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Cool. Cool. Um, and for extra fun, use the uh, advanced fear rules from the Tingler episode. Exactly. So next we have, um, at second level, the Channel Divinity, Subjugate the Weak-Willed. <laughs> uh, you can use your Channel Divinity to impose your will on others. As an action, you present your holy symbol and you can cast Suggestion on a target without expending a spell slot. Uh, next, at sixth level, you gain Psychic Assault. Your devotion to your belief has allowed you to imbue your attacks with a fraction of your deity's power. Once per turn, when you hit with a weapon attack, you can deal an additional 1d6 psychic damage. When you reach 8th level, this increases to 2d6, and when you reach 17th level, it increases to 3d6. Which is a pretty standard... Like, this feature is pretty standard amongst most mm -hmm. clerics. Almost every single cleric subclass has something like this. Right. It's weird. But uh, next we have Maddening Spellcasting. At 8th level... Uh, you add your Wisdom modifier in Psychic Damage to damage done with any Cleric cantrip. Pretty simple. Cool. And then finally, at level 17, you get Envoy of Madness. You can magically summon a Spectral Tentacle that strikes at your foes. As a bonus action, you create a 15-foot-long tentacle at a point you can see within 60 feet of you. The tentacle lasts for one minute or until you use this feature to create another tentacle. When you create the tentacle, you can make a melee spell attack against one creature within 15 feet of it. On a hit, the target takes 2d10 bludgeoning damage and 1d8 psychic damage. As a bonus action, on your turn, you can move the tentacle up to 30 feet and repeat the attack. You can summon the tentacle a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Very cool. This is basically a beefed up version of right. one of the starting features for the, uh, the, deep. the deep warlock. Mm -hmm. Yep. Warlock. Warlock. Um, but yeah, there we go. So very cool. I feel like the cleric one was probably the most straightforward of them all. Yeah, it's but 
Uh, clerics are difficult to do anything kind of unique with. Yeah, there's there's a lot of like I don't I was I was noticing that there seemed to be an awful lot of cleric domains. Yeah, but they're I, all very samey. They're very samey. I think it's just because they were like, well, we need to cover as many like broad spectrums of gods as we can, yeah, and yeah. we have we have not just the the. Faerunian and D&D pantheons, but pretty much every pantheon they can yeah, think of. and everything's got to get shoehorned into one of these categories. Yeah, but still, they are... No, you're right. They are very samey. And... Yeah, like, even more so than wizards, mm-hmm. I think. And wizards are... Like, all their subclasses are basically the same. Right. Except for muscle wizard. <laughs> but, um... Well, cool. Um, that will officially do it the second time for us. Yeah. Um... So uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support for the past year. And uh, we hope that uh, we get your continued support yep. and maybe more listeners and support. We're going to gonna buckle year. down and have less schedule slip this year and really I, oh, don't make tighten any, our Don't make promises and, we can't keep, man. Don't. No. We, we got to get serious about this shit if we're going to do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but life is really, really hard. It is, yeah. Um, we got to be harder. <laughs> No more soft marshmallow shit, man. We're Please. doing this. <laughs> Chris, that is uncharacteristically like optimistic of you. <laughs> and, and, and oh no, I'm I'm still inspiring of you. <laughs> <laughs> Just if we're gonna do this shit, we're gonna do this shit. Like. All right, fair. All right, well, that, like that's kind of always been my my motto is if we're gonna do the damn thing, let's do the damn thing. All right. Well, let's just do the damn thing. Okay. Thank you so much, and we will see you in two weeks for something else. (laughs) Bye.